0: Motivity people, thank you so much for tuning back into the podcast. And if this is your first time, the views, opinions, and information expressed on this podcast are solely intended just to educate you and inform you. And it's all based on Danielle's and her guests' opinions, research, and experience. This podcast absolutely does not constitute financial or investment advice, and the hosts are certainly not financial advisors, brokers, or dealers, because, well, you just have to trust us on that one. Welcome to the Motivity Podcast with Danielle.
1: This is Danielle with the Motivity Podcast. Uh, first of all, thank you for listening to the show. Uh, thank you for all the support, and please subscribe if you can wherever you uh, listen to your shows. And today on the show we have Jeff from Cisco Meraki. Meraki is a pillar with inside of the Cisco umbrella. Right, it's another platform that we uh, that we sell. Um, but what makes Meraki so powerful? Why does every customer talk about it? They love it. It's feature rich, ease of management. It's scalable. Uh, This product really reimagined the network uh, and letting people connect anywhere at any time and then manage it from anywhere. Um, That was the power play here. So Jeff's really going to go into why was that so important? But we don't even just talk about that. We get to deep dive into NFTs, decentralized network, uh, cloud. And what does the cloud ultimately allow you to do, right? And how does that make you scale as an organization or a company? Uh, so if you have any questions, you can find us on LinkedIn or on Instagram. Uh, and if you want to hear any products that we want to put on the show, uh, please let us know. Jeff, tell us why clients love Meraki so much. Why was it so powerful in our marketplace? Why does every client talk about use it? And want more of it. Like, just explain to us that thousand-foot view. What makes Maraki so powerful?
0: Yeah. So, w- what makes Gmail so powerful? What makes these cloud solutions so powerful? They're just easy to use. You open your web browser, and that's all you need. Um, and so, I think that is really why the Meraki dashboard is just so accessible. Is how easy it is to get into the environment. And then once you, you know, create your login. You, you get all the benefits of cloud scalability just organically from that. So it's like really easy to get started. And then once you get started, you can quickly expand your footprint, you know, as quickly as you like. We'll, we'll plug in servers as fast as you're ready to plug in access points.
1: Jeff, if I'm a mid-sized company, right, is Meraki a good fit for me if I'm looking, you know, for access or WAN or uh, IoT, you know, kind of give me that you know, where do I begin? Right. I, I have a company, I have products I want to sell and I need to set up an office. Right. Where do I start? Like, what layer do I start with? What makes the most sense?
0: Yeah. So so like the the pillar within the Meraki platform that is, uh, you know, seeing the widest adoption has been the Meraki wireless access points. And so that is like really a clear uh, a great place to start. And as far as, like, feature parity across the industry, the MR wireless access point is definitely, like, the most mature and feature-rich of the portfolio. But, you know, what you see is once you get into the platform, there's this platform effect that happens. And so you add a Meraki switch behind the Meraki AP, and you get this one plus one is equal to – well, I mean, it's still equal to two, but it's definitely not just two. And then you start adding in security and other devices. And so again, it's, um, you know, the, the wireless is usually the place where we start a lot of these projects. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think that's a great place to start. But, you know, really, uh, you know, you, you mentioned a mid-sized company, Danielle. So that's that's like the stigma I feel that like follows Meraki around. We've been like typecasted as this SMB play. And what's fascinating is, or, you know, maybe uh, kind of what's interesting, being an enterprise at Cisco for the last seven years, our problems in enterprise are no different than a problem that Phil's coffee has. Our problems in enterprise are just magnified uh, and, or, or, or multiplied 1,000, 2,000, you know, 5,000 times. And so it's not that we have different problems. We have a lot of the same problems. It's just the scale of the problems, um, you know, it's just a lot for us. And so, you know, that, that's kind of my, my feeling is, like, everyone can benefit from cloud if it's part of their overall <laughs> philosophy and strategy, and it's so like, true. You know, like- yeah,
1: I mean it's true. I'm an enterprise, and I went right to the SMB market, which is something that I guess we learned about working at Cisco for so long. That maybe is where you guys came to market was that SMB market. But you're right, right? Enterprise clients, um, you know, versus a sized client has the same, you know, use cases, the same um, problems that at you know, that everyone is trying to solve for, but scalability is, is not your problem, right? Meraki, Meraki has the scalability, uh, built in and, and that's, that's what makes it so great. But you mentioned just a couple of things. You started off with an AP, right? And hey, I think an AP is an AP, you know, being a salesperson that I am, but tell me like, what is one of the coolest feature rich, um, pieces that are built into that technology that that AP actually can do and make it relevant to maybe, you know, companies that are trying to define their back-to-work strategy, right? How do they handle COVID bringing people in office? What can an AP tell me, right? Isn't it just for my phone to get on the Internet?
0: <laughs> yeah, so the, the access point is definitely your on-ramp to to the to the network. And I can't remember the last time I plugged in, uh, you know, a computer into into an Ethernet cable. And so, you know, the wireless is the piece you think of first because that's your on-ramp to get onto the network. Um So, yeah, so I I think that uh, just some cool things that Meraki does out of the box is this this visibility into that environment, a visibility from, like, the RF perspective, like how many radio waves are floating around in the environment around you, to the, you know, just what's happening with the users on their environment, how many devices are out there, counting the number of mobile devices, scanning across multiple bands, including Bluetooth as well as Wi-Fi, um, know, kind of understanding occupancy and device, uh, you know, device count and capacity, and then once you're on the network, we actually have full visibility into every single application that users are running. Oh no,
1: that would you can be start. <laughs> That's not no, good. <laughs> it's, it's
0: very important to understand trends in your network. It, and as you see, more of your users are consuming applications that are SaaS hosted as opposed to hosted at on a server in your data center it can actually help you drive more informed decisions of your WAN investment. And maybe it's not a data center investment. Maybe it's a cloud investment that actually is uh, more appropriate. And so you That's can you just get a lot more real-time telemetry from your users and how they're using the network. And that can just really help you, uh, you know, just provide more more understanding, make more informed decisions.
1: Do you feel like someone like at a director level does look at that topology or does look at that data? I've never actually really thought about, you know, what intel you can gather from the applications that the employees are hitting. Um, You know, do you feel like that resonates? Like, do you bring that up? And is that a use case that, you know, clients bring to you? I've never heard that before, actually,
0: which is is great. At the CIO level, what they care about is when I went from an MPLS circuit where I had like a private copper cable that was like run from one site to another to the internet, I had assurance. I had a service level agreement with my provider that I would get 10 megabits per second, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year with five nines uptime. And so like that, that is, uh, you know, that was like a benefit of the MPLS world. And it gave us all that visibility. But now as we're, you know, we're, we're going into the future, it's like, all I care about is does my WebEx teams work? Can I get on this video call or not? And so it's not necessarily, does this circuit guarantee 10 megs of throughput? It's, what is my video quality like? What is my voice quality? Can my employees conduct their day-to-day responsibilities with this network that we've built? And so that's kind of like the Delta is like before it was like we guarantee service on a wire, but now we're actually guaranteeing SLAs at an application level. Right. So that's the data that, yeah. that CXOs are looking for. It's like, okay, I moved to WebEx. I moved to this cloud application. How are my users benefiting from it? Are they having a bad experience? Or, wow, it turns out that we're actually now exponentially consuming this service because the quality of experience is so much better.
1: So what if the client doesn't have, you know, this WAN or they don't they don't have running fiber to every location? Then, you know, can I just go out and get internet from any, you know, Comcast, Verizon's of the world? Like what if I just want to save money on those locations? Talk to me about that, right? Explain to a client yeah. listening what that really means. What does it mean to toggle like, you know, kind of go through what what the 5G cellular network is is doing and and how clients can really benefit from it.
0: Yeah, so Um, And I think that's a that's a a good call out is the first Meraki customers did not have a WAN. Right. They did not have, you know, routers and MPLS circuit uh, service providers. They had Internet. And (laughs) And explain that,
1: though, like like explain a company that was like that, like a a maybe a company that's popped up in the last 10 years probably didn't have a WAN, like a a SaaS company that maybe everyone knows, like a Peloton, right? Peloton probably doesn't have a WAN. They they are a software company with a piece of hardware that goes in all of our houses. You know, think about that model for a second, right? They developed maybe a a location, who knows where, right? Headquarters is in New York. Now what happens? Mm -hmm. Now they have staff, they have staff all over the country helping them, you know, how do they ensure greatness, right? And connectivity outside of headquarters?
0: Yeah. So, so with, with like a Peloton again, they're, they're a modern company. So they, they don't have this technical debt that they inherited and then need to transition off of. They started in this broadband first cloud first world. That is actually was like a huge differentiator and a benefit to these modern startups is they didn't inherit all of this technical debt. They didn't have all these skeletons in the closet that they had to migrate off of. But we're talking Cisco enterprise here. You know, that's the team we support. And so we have to go meet those customers where they are. And those customers have private circuits. They have dark fiber. They have complex routed WAN networks. And, and that, this, that's like what Meraki can do is we can help them realize the agility that all of these startups are benefiting from in this cloud first world we can we can help them on that transition from that private dedicated wan backbone to just like buying an internet circuit from the local broadband provider having rapid setup high performance direct internet access or even what you said you know look at some 5g options with a uh, you know, 5G, uh, you know, I don't want to get into a whole debate as, is 5G available today or not. It's not. I'll call it 4.5G, but it's still pretty <laughs> impressive. We have expanded band support. We can get up to one gigabit per second of throughput. And so like that, it actually, the cellular is becoming, you know, this wireless WAN, this very viable backhaul uh, method as well. And now think of the portability there. Like if you can, uh, you know, if you can be doing 60 miles an hour down the highway, and and you're bringing the network with you at that speed, like, you know, setting up a new site shouldn't be a problem at all.
1: Right, and go back, you know, listen, let's clarify this 4G, 5G, 6G. Uh, Just kind of clarify what that means. I mean, obviously everyone knows, you know, you see your cell phone, it connects, right? Everyone hears this 5G terminology, but explain to people what that truly means from an enterprise standpoint, and also from, you know, just a cell phone user standpoint, like sitting at home, what does that mean?
0: Yeah, so the the transition, you know, three G is really when we had like expanded data services over cellular. So that was kind of where this all began was that uh, that three G world. In four G, we're really talking LTE technology. Um, We're talking, you know, two three hundred megabits per second max capability. So think about that. But there was yeah, just issues like latency and performance. When yeah.
1: your phone hits that has that little, you know, your cell phone user, your little dots on the right hand corner, LT, that's what it's connecting to that network. So I just kind of want to clarify, you know, we assume everyone knows all these
0: <laughs> these trinkets yeah, of information. And, <laughs> and then and then at did this like, you know, great uh great marketing uh, ploy and you know, all of your phone one day you logged in it said four G E on it. And you're like four G E like, and and that was kind of like what we're talking about right now, this, this, this stepping stone between four G and five G and the big Delta between four G and five G is going to be the actual physical wave that passes the packets. We're going to a super high frequency, allowing us to spe- send a lot more data and have a lot uh, less RF airtime contention, just meaning we can send a lot more data a lot faster, lower round trip timers. And so that, that's, that's what the, the, the goal of 5G is, is this uh, super high performance, super low latency network. And we're, you know, we're working towards it. Uh, I think, you know, 5G, we're never going to see that pervasive everywhere. 5G is going to be, you know, allocated for dense User populations, lots of urban environments, we'll see you know the the first five G adoption. But as we get into more rural communities, where candidly you know broadband is you know less uh, prevalent, right. we're probably going to be talking four G technology LTE for some time. Uh, just, just just reality. Um, but you know we're 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 going to continue to always get faster, lower latency, and cheaper. I mean Moore's law is always in effect when you think that like we can't get any faster, we can't do any more. Like there's a new application that demands even higher resolution video being streamed. And you know, once you get that new Netflix content, we need to deliver that without any blocking, pixelation, anything on the screen. So, you know, it's amazing. Um, You know, we used to like send SMS messages and it would take a while for them to go out and then you're sending video uh, picture messages and then video messages. And now we live in the Jetsons world. Like we pick up our phone and we video call from anywhere always. And it, and it's like, like I've done video calls on airplanes. I've done video calls. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's amazing how we're living in this Jetsons world. And now yeah. it's about not, can we do it, but can we like, can we do it really, really, really well? And that's, that's the need it, it for speed, my mind.
1: right? So <laughs> people developing more, they're building more based on the capacity of these phones and the ability for us to get data faster. Everything's going to this these cloud platforms that need to deliver content, like Jeff saying, quickly, um, and and you know, you talk to people like, oh yeah, five G. I don't know if they really understand the capacity that's coming because you know we're going into this augmented reality world, which is going to need more capacity and more power. Jeff, I want to take the conversation a little bit going into five G, six G. You know, networks. You know, what happens with the decentralized networks? You know, hot topics are NFTs, right? And I know you roll your eyes a little bit. Um, I have to ask, it's, you know, it's outside of what we're doing with Cisco and, you know, I don't want to take it away from Meraki, but, um, it is a hot term, you know, kind of talk high level. What do you think of the industry? Where do you think the industry is going? Um, you know, are you, are you sold on having a decentralized? Network, do you think it's profitable? Like kind of help me understand. I have an opinion about certain parts of it. Like with the art world, it makes sense, right? I, I think artists out there should be able to make, make money out, you know, outside the typical engines, right? To me, though, I don't know what I'm buying. I don't know what I'm looking at, but I've definitely have researched about it. So kind of give me your view on it
0: yeah so we we got a lot to unpackage here so the first thing i want to say is everything that is old is new again and everything that was hot in the 80s is fresh right now as well and so it, it's like you know we started with this mainframe and then terminal and then we built the pc and then we built the cloud and when i look at the cloud it's not so different than the original mainframe and terminal but as we can connect these devices higher performance lower latency the need for having like a centralized hub of this data actually goes away. Cause I can now replicate the data across every single device. And so there's like decentralization is actually fascinating because it, it it just like, there's no one single owner of the data anymore. And it's been, it's actually the democratization of the data. So the, the whole concept of decentralization, I think is fascinating. And then like now we can go into the decentralized finance world. And, you know, I think that's, I think so that's go a really back interesting to a space.
1: Go back to not owning the data, think about that. Like think about these big, you know, SaaS companies, right? The Facebooks of the world, they own the data. What they're looking at is taking the power away from the bigger com- companies and having people, right? Technically own the points now. So now it mm-hmm. doesn't run off one central network anymore. Uh, it, it's it's quite interesting, but I just don't know how it's going to play out, you know, in our market and how it's going to be relevant. You know, I, you know, it's going to be relevant. Obviously, there's going to be companies spun up. I just don't I don't see kind of the end result yet or I don't I'm not grasping it. So are you
0: definitely <laughs> a very it, it's still a very speculative space. Um, yeah. You know, it's not mainstream like the U.S. Treasury still is like, you know, the U.S. Treasury and the dollar bill is still the dollar bill. But we're seeing what countries are doing uh, with less stable economies than the United States and how they're adopting these uh, these coins, these digital coins in a DeFi world. And it actually provides additional stability for some markets. And so, you know, it's like just because it's not perfect for America today, just because it's not better than the U.S. Treasury today, doesn't mean that there's not going to be a place potentially for it to you know, even you know, supersede, but probably the, the reality is coexist with the, uh, the, the existing uh, markets today. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I think there's pockets where we're going to have really early adopters. And some of those early adopters are going to have tremendous like who? success.
1: Like, um, who like is the it? country
0: of El Salvador, yeah. like they're, they're using volcanoes to mine Bitcoin. And instead of being on like a government currency that had high levels of instability, you know, now now it's on a global currency, and no one's going to say that uh, Bitcoin isn't volatile. I mean, volatility is a feature of the crypto market. Many will tell you, but you know, looking at some of these, uh, some some of these uh, more developing nations, you know, looking at like a 10-15% Bitcoin swing is nothing when you see your currency go from having value to being completely valueless overnight. And so, you know, it, again, it's like. What, what what seems very risky to us uh, under like our U.S. financial system is actually like, That's wow, a, this is stable compared right. to what we have been in, experiencing. So it's a relative. I never thought about in my mind.
1: You, I never thought about it that way. And you're right. We're not used to those swings. We're used to the dollar being the dollar. Right. And the value being the value. I didn't think about it from living in another country where, you know, or. El Salvador or Europe when there is those swings and and what is that? How does that affect that person? Right. And they don't want that, that vulnerability anymore,
0: especially if it it has to do with their money. Right. Um, And what's cool is we've been using, we've been using digital currency ever since we started trading stuff on eBay. Like, I mean, PayPal was an early digital currency. They weren't necessarily holding us tender for your transactions it was a promise. It was a promise that we will cover this transaction. We have liquidity within our ecosystem to be able to support this. But there was never like a pile of cash or gold that like Elon had in his early PayPal days that backed all of our transactions. But it was just it was the internet. It was the Wild West. And like we were exploring. And that's one of the amazing things with like you know the lack of regulation with these early startup projects. It, it just like encourages all this like ingenuity and in- innovation in the space. And man, there's going to be failed products, projects, yes. products like, uh, you know, like a lot of the altcoins that we're seeing now. Like man, there's a lot of trendy stuff going on. But at the same time, I actually think there's some things that have come out of this that were probably you know bar napkin ideas that are going to be a mainstay of our society and. You know, you said NFTs. I think that one's fascinating because it's like, too. you know, what what is real anymore, Danielle? Like what, what, right. what is authentic? an artist?
1: Right. And art, I mean, I love the art idea to NFT. Right. I, I collect art. I love art. You know, listen, art. You know, an artist makes a print. They sign a print. They run a hundred there's, you know, 100, you could buy one of 100 and it's worth X dollars. Well, there's no tracking on that piece of art. You really don't know who owns it. We don't really know if, I mean, in actuality, you don't really know if that's the artist that actually signed it. Let's be, let's be, you know
0: but you, oh, know, the, you proving you, you, the we, provenance of art is like its whole other market. Don't get me into right. auction houses and like, oh, whole, me too. like I uh, talk a lot. Theme of appraisals and everything else. That's like a, Oh, we're so far off topic now. Yeah. But, we you know, really okay.
1: digress, but we're coming back. We're coming back to the, <laughs> the NFTs, but we could take the art and pr- try to solve that whole problem. But I think, at the same time, NFTs are solving the problem. The only thing that's hard to understand, and I think visually, is you're like, well, where should I invest in what's good and what's not? You know, I saw the other day an NFT in a Van Gogh, and I was like, uh, I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> and to me, that's a little far fetched. I think more like graphic designers, more, you know, edgy stuff should be an NFT, but that's just where I live. I don't know if you could make an NFT on a Van Gogh. Do you own that print? Like that's kind of so, getting to a couple of different, different levels.
0: The, the authenticity of a product that was genuinely created by Vincent Van Gogh is actually what you're buying. It's the provenance that this was painted with his hand. And, and like someone like taking a photograph of one of his pictures and converting it to a digital you know format and then putting a certificate in it. Uh I I don't see the benefit of that. But there's a lot of street artists. There's a lot of other artists that, you know, photography. uh, People take pictures, they share it on the internet, and then they're just like pirated immediately. And you see your own content being reused on a news story, and you're like, whoa, I just, I was just streaming, I was just uploading that. And now, you know, now whatever, uh, you know, whatever news station is is using my footage. Like having like a true owner of every digital asset. It's fascinating. So what it's NFT
1: just, it's, it's, site do you go to? Like, if you're going to tell people, hey, just, you know, this is what I look at. If you were going to buy an NFT right now, there's a lot of companies out there spinning it up, trying to be the leader. Right. Yeah, is there anyone no, that you would o- say? I mean, listen, you know, we both can
0: see OpenSea is like the big one that's out there. Um and, you know, they're, they're still kind of in startup mode, but they had a lot of success. We've seen a lot of bangs with like, um, a lot of news headlines with like their board ape yacht club. And you see like, you know, uh, very prominent people, uh, like Steph Curry, like Jay Z, you know, their Instagram handles are now their, their NFTs. And you even see these social media platforms now allowing for like a checksum against the image that's uploaded. To ensure that you are uh, authentically the owner of that NFT, and then you'll get a little like Ethereum token in the bottom of your uh, uh, profile picture. So it's like it- it's a bit of a status symbol. It's like rolling up in an S six hundred, but I mean, in the future, when we're completely like neural digitally communicating with each other, we're not rolling up to the club in a Mercedes anymore. Like we're just connected all the time, and like there's this like there's there's this new way that you present yourself and it's, you know, it's your Sunday car, you know, you don't take it out every day, but when you take it out, it means something. It makes you feel a way and people think away way when, when they see it. So I, I, I mean, it, it's fascinating. I think there's all sorts of bubbles in the market right now, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you just, you, you couldn't have imagined like, what the internet would have became today you know, back in, in in you know back in the seventies and eighties, like it just seemed like nerds like sending you know you know hello worlds to each other, but now like everyone in society fully participates in this network. Everyone in society participates in these social media, and it's like I, I couldn't imagine a world where we weren't disconnected. And then and then Danielle, imagine had this pandemic happened and the nerds hadn't built this internet for us, like. Wow, what, what society have shut down? I mean, I, I haven't seen a seen a person, in well, I've seen some people, but you know, I haven't been traveling in almost two years now. But I'm still connected. I still feel like you know I'm part of society and I'm participating. I'm interacting. And and, and how many just, NFTs do you own? Oh, zero, zero, zero. Not zero.
1: Okay. I'm
0: not, yeah, do you create yeah. NFTs? I, I do not create NFTs. You don't I, create. I've never, okay. Uh, no, uh, candidly, um, I, I think the, the the wallet situation, the acquisition, the you know, th- all sorts of I issues with clunky. the ecosystem. That's a huge barrier to entry. And I'm a technical person. You're like, right. I love hacking stuff together, but like when you're in it, you're so, looking at it, and yeah, it just is not it's, like it's not as easy as like Apple Pay double but, click yeah. and you own it.
1: Right. And I think that's so yeah, to that point, you know, going back to the decentralized um, you know, networks that they're trying to build, especially for Wi Fi or um, you know, you can buy a box, you know, to connect Wi Fi for outside your house. Paying for that item is difficult. It's not an easy transaction. And I think that's what they still need to clear up and fix because you have an hour to send X dollars to X you know, uh code or URL. Well, there's someone out there that has to mine and figure out that puzzle to do it the to do the connection. If you miss the time lapse, then your thing is gone. And I think that's still people are losing money that way. I don't think it's a great I, I just it needs it needs help. So if you could help them, if anyone could help them, I think that's what we need yeah. to figure out.
0: No, uh, and it, I don't know it, if it, I'm saying it right market, with the miners,
1: but yeah, mm-hmm. like I don't know if I'm saying the terminology right, which is all good. You know, obviously, I understand it because I've tried to buy things and it's gone terribly wrong. (laughs) So I
0: think I'm like, I'm out. And that's the frustration is like, in in some of these, they go for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And in your, your, um, you know, you're sending funds, and those transmission fees, those gas fees, they're non-refundable. So if that trans, and it typically they're a percentage of the transaction. If that transaction doesn't go through, those fees are. Sent to a burn address and they're gone. So
1: and i yeah, think no, that's they, they definitely problem. need some
0: more assurance on it. And I think yes. a lot of, I, I think it's coming. I think that's what a lot of these altcoins, some of these altcoins are providing, it's essentially do, just better liquidity in the market. But I think a lot of them are just like you know pictures of puppies on. And on, do you invest betting. in
1: uh, coins? Then are you a Bitcoin investor?
0: Uh, I, 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 I in the market, but it's all just like, uh, yeah, I think of it as, um, you know, playing, playing a slot machine almost at this point, you, um, do? you know, it, it's fun. It's fun to track. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I haven't moved my 401k into uh, oh, digital no. currencies yet, but you know, like, no, if, uh, no. I, I do think it is an interesting place, uh, marketplace and, you know, so. Sub- support projects you like if if like if you that's an that's need a good an point. artist and they inspire you and you want to support them then you you want to learn about it then you want to learn how you can help them and you know th- this space is going to change so much um and, and, and it's not going to be long until we see like you know like you know we, we see things like uh, amc is an accept doggy coin at their cinemas you read the headlines you're like that's something but like when that just becomes pervasive as Visa, <laughs> PayPal, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, <laughs> and, and, and it's just, it's just another click. And it just like, it just ties to another, uh, you know, address that is saved in your browser that is biometrically secured at that point. Like these, these, uh, these currencies are really going to have some, uh, some awesome value and, and like, I do just think about, like international travelers, like walking, like when I show up in London, suddenly my dollar is worth less. And when I go to the airport, I have to pay a transaction fee. And when I use my credit card, I pay an international fee. Now, this currency is no longer tied to a single central bank, a, and so I can. It's the the portability is just completely there. Not not that I've gotten on a plane and flown to London anytime recently, <laughs> but you know, but that's a good know, my use case. Trip, that's
1: a right. That's you know, you put five thousand dollars away in your Bitcoin account. And listen, I love the B. I love the marketing. Whoever came up with that ingenious B for billionaire, I think. Uh, but you're right. If you're traveling, why, you know, why couldn't you play with Bitcoin and scan your phone wherever you hold, hold you know,
0: hold that money? Danielle, you remember your parents used to bring traveler's checks with them when you go on yes. vacation up to the Cape? And I think it was I like had so to do that
1: at some point. I mean, we're old enough that there was a time that we had to travel with American, yourself, careful, Express, careful. <laughs> American Express traveler checks. And if you lost one, that was it. I mean, that was it. I think you had a copy of your house, but you're like, I don't know what I would do. A thousand percent. And then I was like, this is why am I doing this? Like, why am I actually doing this? And then I said, eh. you know, you go to cash, but again, the credit card, they're still charging you, you know, crazy interest rates when you're, when you're traveling overseas and then you come back and you're like, I had to pay a VAT tax and I had to pay this tax. And you're like, well, was that even worth it? <laughs> like, what was that? You know, you don't really understand, right? You know, I'm, there's so many touch points with money and there's so many touch points that it, tra- you know, changes so many hands and it shouldn't be like that. We should be able to do business anywhere. You should travel anywhere and you should have the same, the same money you had sitting in one place versus another. Um,
0: yeah. And, you know, and, 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 and bringing I, this back, you know. like that's, that's the cloud. Is right. The data is no longer in one place. The Correct. data is in all places at once. And so it just makes it, 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 it makes it, it makes it redundant. It makes it resilient. It makes it scalable. Like it just it it, it definitely is the trajectory that like this connected society is taking us on. And it's going to be pretty I I think it's going to, you know, like, again, 10 years ago when people were talking about like cloud managed IT, you're like, no way am I going to do that. <laughs> But now it's like fast forward to 2021 and it's like you're not running your IT stack in the cloud. Why Why are you going through the trouble of managing that pizza box in your data center? It just seems like a lot of effort for something that you could just use your web browser to get to
1: more software, more eyes, more data. So Jeff, just, you know, sitting here interviewing you, you know, you look like a cool guy, you have the Vans logo behind you, and you work at Cisco, which is one of the biggest, you know, one of the top companies in, in the market globally, you know, top tech companies, number one place to work for, you know, how does someone like listening to this, like a younger self of yours 10 years ago, you know, say, hey, I'm into skateboarding. I'm a runner. I went to school. I did this and that. How do you even start working at Cisco? Like, how does that even happen? Uh, you know, kind of just take us back there for a minute. Um, you know, and I'm sure you, you know, I don't know if you were a gamer at one point in your life, you know, the, the fascination with, computers and technology, you know, how does that happen? And maybe it's part of, maybe it's not about the tech. Maybe it's about your personality. Like, you know, where is the need yeah. for speed, the need to learn, where, where does that come from and how did you get into technology?
0: Yeah. So, so first off, I think like, you know, like the Vans, this is, uh, I mean, you're, you're from Jersey. You remember going down to Asbury Park for the Vans warp Tour. Like there's yeah. so much nostalgia around it. And then like, once you get into like that, like, skateboarding, punk DIY world. Um, it it actually was a lot, like a a lot of the same kind of do it yourself. Do like, you know, damn the man, damn the system. And that's what kind of was the early tech. Candidly was a lot of like outcasts that were just kind of doing their own thing outside of the normal systems. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, fast, like talking about Jeff in high school, oh my goodness, working for a corporate, working for a company, oh, like Cisco, oh my goodness. I would, I, if if I was 16, I'd be like so disappointed in Jeff. (laughs) Jeff, me too.
1: But but I'm disjointed too, right? Like we're all kind of disjointed, but we have a, you know, we we have that ability. We want to learn more. We want to do more. But we weren't always, you know, we weren't always the one that, I don't know, just kind of saw mainstream and wasn't intrigued by mainstream. We weren't, that wasn't going to excite us. What was exciting to us was, oh, wait, there's better and easier and cleaner ways to do business that, you know, it's all about agility, need for speed, right? Automation, like kind of all that territory is where I think we lie. Our personalities lie, right? Like, oh no, I could do that better. I could do it a little bit easier for you if you just listen to me for 10 minutes, but you know, kind of talk through that, you know, it it is, it's not, it's not, it wasn't always the easiest route. It was the most, probably the most interesting route.
0: Yeah. So for me, there were kind of two pieces of technology that I owned that just changed, changed my trajectory, changed my life. And the first one was my first, uh, first cell phone. Yeah. Like my first Qualcomm device on the Verizon network. And like, Man, I was an early adopter of like SMS messaging, and that was so powerful. When you like, there were only a handful of us in high school that had cell phones, and we were like the upper <laughs> echelon. Like, because like we just were always communicating with each other. Like, they could try and separate us; they could put us in different rooms behind different walls, but we're still talking to each other. And so that was the first. I think one think I was, was on like, that a cell text <laughs> 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 and then, and then the next one was uh, so fast forward to uh, to the college years, and uh, Wi Fi was just starting to pick up. 80211 right. B, and um, I, I I begged my mom. Uh, I made this whole business case of why I needed an Apple Airport uh, wireless router, and why I needed three Orinoco uh, wireless cards. <laughs> I got two forty bit web encryption ones, one hundred and twenty bit web encryption card. And, like, I had this whole business plan how I was going to make the entire house wireless and, like, mobility and, like, the TPOE settings on the Apple no Air gonna automatically do that. I had this whole great plan. My mom <laughs> bought a hook, line, sinker, got her credit card in Amazon, hardware arrived. I brought it up to Rensselaer with me the next week to school, and my mom never saw that again. Uh, so, But it was just, like, it, it was cool technology then because at, at, at cool. college, we, we were wireless. And, like, everyone was plugging in, but it was like, no, when you go to Jeff's house, you hop on the Wi-Fi. And it was like, I, I, I no had actually hand out, like, the Orinoco cars Here, plug this into your PCI- PCMCIA. Jeff, yeah, I remember never internet knew internet
1: this acronym. story. <laughs> this is amazing.
0: Um, yeah, you, you just – yeah, no, th- those were the two things, and they were just, like, so cool. And I remember the first time um, – just the first time that, like, you're – Wireless and I was on um, a handspring visor de- device. Do you remember like there's the palms and there's handspring? Um, and I had like my uh, blazer browser. I had my 802.11b uh, Wi uh, Fi card module plug in. And I was, uh, I was working at Stevens University at the time and we had set up a handful of outdoor access points. And I was just outside in the quad downloading content like pictures, videos. And it was just like, like freedom. It was, it was here. I wasn't tethered. You weren't anymore. connected. Was, right.
1: You weren't, you weren't confined. And
0: right. It, I mean, and, and, so and I, it, it, yes. just, it just took off. It just took and off ju- from there. Cause like, yeah.
1: Does the, does, you know, you hear the, and this is just a question you hear the government talk about the need for infrastructure. Do you understand that when you, when you just told that story to me, that's where my head went you understand why it's so important, right? To have everybody just connected. You don't need to connect to this Wi-Fi point. Like everyone should be able to get data anywhere, anytime. If you're a kid, you could sit outside and do your homework. Like that's, that's why, I mean, I feel like it's important to invest money, you know, into these 5G. Yeah.
0: Meraki was an MIT science project, but the first kind of ethos, the first like go to market of Meraki was if we can make wireless so simple to deploy and uh, like remove all this complex management layer, we might be able to provide digital inclusion to populations that candidly were left behind with this first wave of the internet revolution. And that was actually like one of Meraki's like plans early on. Wow. It was like listen, we're gonna we're gonna turn on free public Wi Fi for the universe. Now, you know, we had some investors so anymore, and, but... and then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we'll, that's we'll the problem. Back. Once you're beholden to your investors, then you have to start showing some revenue <laughs> and, and all these, uh, you know, free Wi-Fi feel good projects. They they go out the door with all your, you know, high school punk rock DIY, you know, stitch your own patch on your jean jacket uh, dreams. And so, um no, it, it just it, it just. It, it just, it, it changes. It, the market just changed so quickly, uh, you know, For, for no, actually it kind of the Meraki changed very quickly then from being this cool, like, outlawed DIY free Wi-Fi product to, wait, this is what the largest enterprises on the planet could actually run their business on. And that same promise that we could have offered you know, to just like uh, to to anyone providing free Wi-Fi for a city, we can now provide those same benefits: It's easy to scale, easy to manage, simple to use, reliable Wi-Fi, and provide it for for businesses. And well, that was a viable model. That that's what gets you know uh, Sequoia and Andreessen Horowitz and all Google and all those investors like checkbooks open. And so that that was what you know really. Drove the investment in the platform, drove the scale in the platform, got us more uh, more robust hardware, and okay. you know it really just took off from from there. But but no, it's like at at the heart of it, Meraki really was this like feel good project where we wanted to change. Like the the original guys wanted to, they knew what they were building had the ability to change society. They just didn't know exactly how it was going to ultimately do it.
1: Well, it definitely changed society. It changed how clients, um, deploy technology, use technology and accessibility for technology. So you know that you sell for Meraki, part of Cisco's fold. We have a few minutes left. You know, anything else you want to add, you know, to this conversation? We talked about so much fun stuff. Um, and I think we have to bring you back on. I think we're just kind of scratching the surface on, you know, educating clients, not only about Meraki, you know, about NFTs, what's cool, understanding, you know, I think the perspective you bring is really understanding, like, what is the network? What does it do? Why is it important? How are things connected? I think you really kind of started to showcase that. But anything you want to end with? Uh, again, we're on the Motivity Podcast. Jeff's from Meraki. He's awesome. He's a, co, uh, a co-worker a of mine um, and just a really knowledgeable, great guy. But uh, anything you want to say or end with?
0: Yeah. So... Just, you know, this is this is uh this is kind of a Meraki ethos is we don't really know what the destination is, but we know where our North Star is. And as long as we follow our principles, we follow our North Star, we're headed in the right our bearings are true. We're headed in the right direction. And once you define that endpoint, that goal, that's kind of when you fail. And so like, you know, don't be afraid to go out there and not know where, where the trail is going to end. You know, you know your bearings. You know what you're doing is for the right cause. You, you believe in it. You're excited about it. Let, let that drive you and let that take you to, to where it's going to go. And I think that's just one of the, the cool things about Meraki. You know, when, I, when I started here seven years ago, I don't think we ever saw us being this, this big a part of Cisco. And, you know, I was on the team and I didn't see it. And and, and now now it's funny because, yeah, like... It's part of every conversation.
1: Yes, it is a constant flow. And, and, you know, to that, listen, we're trying to make it secure, easy easy to use, easy to deploy, like Jeff said, but I just don't think that we have seen uh, the growth yet, right? It's still going. And that you know, having people oh, like the you. the of the
0: iceberg. The tip but having of the iceberg. people we, like yeah. you
1: work for them is, you know, they, it, it's an honor, really. Um, and listening to you talk about it, I think that they can learn a lot from what it's like to sell and be in your seat. So, um, Jeff, thank you for coming on the show. We loved having you. This is awesome. Uh, anything else?
0: Yeah, no, I, you know, I said early on, like my teenage version of myself would be so disappointed in me. But if I could educate that 16-year-old Jeff and be like, Jeff, you are disrupting the largest telecom provider on the planet. You walk into conversations and you just move everything you have done, forget, free your mind. You know what? That's what excites me about being part of Meraki and the fact that Cisco lets us, you know, gives us exposure to their customers and lets us help them transform them. Uh, yeah, that, that is, it, it's cool. So, no, that's awesome. I, I think that's
1: awesome. I, I, I
0: think that's a cool part that of it. That was
1: awesome. You know what? Here's to all the disruptors. Here's to all the people that want to learn. Here's to all the people that just want to get to the next step and understand the newest, greatest technology coming out. It is fun. It's exciting. It's, it's interesting talking about, you know, like you said, taking on these companies that we, you know, we never thought we would be in these shoes, but we are. So, You know what? It's an awesome day when you meet another disruptor and has the same energy as you. Thank you for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we're out.